Hey, it's Freddy Cruz, and I'm digging this one out of the archives. Going back to early 2023 and a trip I made to the Houston Toy Museum in the Heights, where I spoke with co-founder Matt Broussard. Matt owns over 10,000 toys, some of which are housed in the museum. During this conversation, we talk about his collection and how it got so big, as well as the cultural impact toys have on society. If you're in the Houston area, you've got to check out the Houston Toy Museum. It looks small from the outside, but once you get in, you'll be blown away once you get past the velvet rope. Learn more at HoustonToyMuseum.com. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Flo Rida with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Cruz. Let's go pick Mr. 305 and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie and it's time to cruise through HTX. What a place. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, uh, thank you for inviting me to crash your party, and it's a it's quite the party because you know it doesn't look it doesn't look very big from the outside, but you come in and boom. Yeah, there's definitely an uh, an awe moment whenever you see how big the museum actually is because it's it's about forty five hundred square feet, but uh, you know, and our little uh, gift shop is only like you know maybe maybe a thousand. Yeah, if that, because it looks tiny, then you yeah. have all the merch, and yeah. so it looks even smaller, but you walk through that door to come in, and you are just greeted by thousands of toys and memories and all the nostalgia. Yeah, I usually <laughs> tell people, if they like our gift shop, you'll love the museum, because uh, a lot of times people will walk around and be like, you know, they're already in that mode of, uh, oh, I had that, oh, that, yeah, I remember that, or... Uh, things like that. So usually I'm like, well, if you like the gift shop, you'll love the museum. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's take a walk back because uh, the museum wasn't always the museum, but you obviously have always had a love of toys. So what what led you to this point? Were you working in corporate America? What were you doing? Uh, I was just a handyman. I just did uh, odds and ends and things like that. But uh, it all started like I just... Uh, you know, like most people, I put my toys away in high school, you know, like yeah. you see everybody else do that. And so you just uh, like, oh, okay, this is the time that we don't play with toys anymore. Okay, yeah, like okay, now we do sports and ex- extracurricular activities. And so uh, it wasn't until me and my wife started dating and I, I'd seen a toy that I used to have. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Well, then I started buying the toys that I used to have. And then it quickly turned into buying the toys that I was never able to get. And uh, always wanted. And so, uh, you know, uh, the collection just uh, grew over and over time. And uh, I enjoyed showing it to friends and family. And uh, I just, you know, you get addicted to the happiness that people have. And, uh, you know, everyone's reminded of a happy memory. And I never had sad memories showing off my collection. And so uh, I was like, man, I wish I could just do this every day. And uh, my wife suggested, why don't you do a museum? You know, we go to a lot of museums. And uh, that was like 10 years ago. And then it was always just this fictitious dream that we would just pretend. And, and then it didn't really snowball until the last like two years. It, it, it become more and more of a reality. And uh, it's been a blast. It's been a wild ride. And I mean, we've only been open four months and I just can't wait to keep adding more and more stuff. Yeah, can we go back to 2019? So this was the idea, it sort of germinated. Yeah. Sarah, your wife, is like, you should have a museum. Yeah. And you're like, that's a great idea. But obviously it's four years in the, or well, three years in the making. So what was the first 
step getting. So if step one was the idea and then you thinking, yes, it is a good idea. What was the next step? I would just go, go around to antique stores and estate sales and garage sales and Goodwills and, you know, all the places uh, to get fine toys. You know, I was pretty frugal, so I just bide my time. So I had the toys. It wasn't until like, it was always like, well, where, where would we even put it? Like, mm. you know, what part of town? And uh, we moved into the Heights, you know, probably when we we're in our 20s and just really, really fell in love with the city. Uh, you know, our own city that, you know, most people, they don't learn how to love their city until they're in their late 20s, early 30s. And so, uh, I, I want, you know, we, we discovered how great it was. And now my goal is I want people to discover how great their city is earlier. Mm, yeah. And uh, that way you can experience every little uh, facet of your city. And, uh, and so the Heights was always where we kind of wanted it to be. And it, this is actually their old Retropolis. It, it was a, it was like a, a shop that had vintage clothing and a lot of vendors and things. Gotcha. And so uh, I was just looking up online, like at just different properties in the Heights. And all of a sudden I saw the Retropolis building and I was like, Sarah, the Retropolis building is for lease. And that's when it really started just the snowball started to pick up. Yeah. Um, because we were like, okay, I think the next day or the, the day after that, you know, uh, we called our realtor friend and said, hey, can you show us this property? And, uh, of course, when we got here, it, it had been empty for two years. So Okay, because I wanted to ask yeah. about that. Yeah, because I imagined... It was uh, bare bones, just, just the walls, nothing. Mm-hmm. But it, it's crazy how it was abandoned for two years because the conventional wisdom would suggest that the Heights, and so for my listeners who are not in the Houston area, the Heights mm-hmm. is a very... Uh, upscale but old world kind of uh, community within the greater Houston area. So conventional wisdom would suggest that uh, a sizable space like this would not be vacant for two years. You know, I actually think that the size is what made it vacant. Okay. Because it's so big. Okay. Um, So many people were, you know, came and looked at the property and things, but there really wasn't a kind of company that could be as spread out or just could cover this much, you know, couldn't, you know, not even a restaurant or like people would come by like restaurants yeah. and different ideas, but it would always come down to, it was too big. Mm-hmm. And, um, put that way. It makes sense. You know, yeah. I had a booth here when it was Retropolis and I just fell in love with the building. It was built in the 1940s. And, um, when you look up old pictures of the street, it's cool to see, you know, uh, the pictures and things. And, but, you know, it has this grand stairway that, you know, makes you think of like, you know, the traditional stairways on like, you know, that that you saw on the Titanic, you know, or something like that. And so it's very, uh, it just seemed like, okay, this, this definitely like put a little paint and it looks like a museum. Yeah. And you walk through this entryway. So when you, when you come into the Houston toy museum, y'all, you, go in through the gift, the gift shop, and then you walk through the doorway and you are greeted by a Titanic style set of stairs that go left and right. And then boom, you're hit with all the toys. (laughs) Yeah. So like, like downstairs we have like, uh, 
downstairs we have a like most popular toys by decade, like just like a timeline to help people get a good view of, uh, especially like the grandparents that come in and they see, okay, these are my toys, you know, the 1950s. Yeah. And, uh, and being able to see the progression, but then upstairs we have, uh, you know, bigger, broader categories and, uh, exhibits that, you know, focus on one thing and tell the history about that one, uh, toy line. What is your favorite era of toys that you did not grow up with? And I'm guessing you're millennial aged. Uh, I'm 35. 35. So I grew up with like the nineties toys. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Ninja Turtles came out in 88, but I like, I was obsessed with Ninja Turtles. So if I could be, if I could go back, but I always wanted to go back to the seventies just so I could go to concerts and things. But uh, <laughs> if it was like toy related, it would, it would have to be the eighties. We had some great toys, man. We, yeah. That's whenever like a lot of good toys were starting to be made and you had toy companies discovering, okay, I can make a toy, then come up with the, the back story. You know, I can turn it into a comic. I could turn it into a TV show. And then that's where you had like the cartoons we that just exploded because now that they realize that they can make a 30 minute ad for a toy, a toy line, uh, that's all our, you know, cartoons really were was just ads. Yep. And then you had breaks with more ads, but they put out a lot of great TV shows. They put a lot of great things out into the pop culture world that have such a huge following and, you know, such as like He-Man, like that was a little bit earlier before me or like Thundercats and, uh, yeah, you had just this, this explosion of, uh, just these ideas of these characters that were just so wild that it was just a new new imagination world that they opened up to you. It was, um, and I'm an '80s kid, so I've got <laughs> I've got more than ten years on you, um, but I've never heard it that what put that way that cartoons were just thirty minute ads for toys because I had He Man in the Masters of the Universe and the Gray Skull. What was it? Great Castle Gray Skull. Yeah, dude, I had all those. I had um, uh, Lion O and Panthro yeah. and Tigra from Thundercats. And Which those are very hard to find now. <laughs> no so, way, yeah. really. Thundercats are yeah. Huh. That's one of the ones that like. There's a few out there, but even the ones that are out there, no one wants to sell. Oh yeah. And so there's none ever on the market and the second they are, they're snatched up. Like, <laughs> yeah. So we don't have any here for the museum yet, but, uh, that, that'll be one of our, uh, you know, almost like the whole line is a Holy grail. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, what's so cool about that era of toys. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten over the past few years, uh, into the craft of storytelling. And so you learn of Joseph Campbell's, uh, hero's arc and, so a lot of the good guys were the uh, classic good guys, the invincible ones. You got He-Man, Hello, yeah. Lion-O, and you can't, you know, you can't really do anything to these cats. You know, they weren't, yeah, they weren't allowed to lose. They were not allowed to lose. Like Hulk Hogan, who's a, a human example of yeah. that. Yeah, uh, the invincible type. And so it really, it, I don't know, it does something to. Um, I guess it kind of does something to your psyche. You don't really think about that. We we had that we had had a little bit of this conversation before we hit record. With, yeah, right before you know, with, yeah. The, with the cartoons, uh, things that you don't realize um, when you're a kid, but then you realize years later down the road. Yeah, that they have uh, uh, adult uh, tropes inside them that you didn't ever even notice as a yeah, kid. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, 
But yeah, let's let's talk about because we're talking about eighties toys. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the new exhibit, GI Joe. The GI Joe. Yeah. Exhibit. So we've had a lot of people uh, ask us about like, oh, you know, you don't have a lot of Joes, and and the truth is, like, it was such a huge category. It, it was intimidating to me. You know, there was <laughs> especially Joes because there's so many. There's thousands of characters, yeah. thousands of accessories to each different one. Yeah, which that that was the good thing about Joes. You could find a specific character that you could relate with, and uh, but to collect them, it was always a little. You know, it was a mountain to me because I was like, that's just too much information. You know, <laughs> and I had already collected you know a lot more other stuff, but. Um, Transformers was another one where it was just like the vastness of uh, the collection would be, hef- you know, like you could just have a Transformers museum almost or a Joe museum uh, just because there's such huge categories. Um, and so my, my ideas was always like, I'm going to try to find someone who, who collected that stuff that they put all their time and energy in Joe's. Mm-hmm. They have the knowledge of all the characters. They just, have so much love for it because I know if I put it together, the Joes, like I would get a character wrong, you know, and I wouldn't do it justice, you know, no matter how much research, I don't think I could get as much research as someone who's a Joe guy. And in the internet age, somebody would go on and say, well, you know something, Matt, this thing about Destro that you typed up is totally wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, definitely whenever we're doing exhibits, I want to be as informed as possible. And I want, uh, the information to to showcase as much history as possible because you can you can look at you can tell a lot what's going in society based on what kind of toys are being made mm-hmm. or even the materials that toys are being made and uh, the uh, the amount the demand of toys and you know they don't make toys in wartime they only make toys in peacetime and uh, so it, it wow. it's really easy to I didn't look at it that look way. at a graph and say okay. Uh, you know, especially after World War II, you had this huge boom in toys because all, all these war factories, they were empty. Now yep. what do you do? They all turned to toy factories. Then you started to get an explosion in tin toys and you had all this material that, you know, we all had to send off for different reasons. But now you have just an explosion of everything. And uh, so that's when you see a lot more toys just pop up in the 50s. Uh, you know, like Barbie, Mr. Potato Head, and uh, even Joe's. You know, you had these things that just now it was uh, good to have. You know, like it was people were capable of having toys and, and spending the extra money. And especially like, you know, you look at the Great Depression and those kind of eras no one could afford toys. You could, you know. They, went, they were wondering where their next meal was going to come Yeah, they from. didn't have yeah. time to think about what the, the, the toys that that they could have been playing with. And because the thing about a toy, a toy is like, it's your tool, a child's tool to, to discover the parameters around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people have done a lot of research in toys and we can uh, take from what they've learned and, and really help children grow up faster, but also be uh have the skills, you know, they're, they're, we actually have a science behind toys. Mm. It, it's not just uh, fun colors and, but, you know, toys, toys are a tool for children to learn. 
It's interesting you say that because it, when you think of Mr. Potato Head, it's a puzzle. It's interactive. Yeah. It's not. It's not like a flat board with little pieces. Yeah. You're, you know, well, where did the eyes go? And yeah. the C and say, it's like, what does the cow sound like? Yeah. So Mr. Potato Head, uh, one bit of, so it actually first started with the potato, and uh, they An would actual just, potato. Yeah, they would just sell you the pieces, like the <laughs> arm, like it had like a body and then like arms and legs, but. Uh, the, at, the you know the information inside the booklet when you buy it says like yeah. all right kids go to your parents pantry and get a fruit or vegetable and and then uh, it would tell you to put all the pieces in the in the vegetable and so after the first year or so they actually started getting a lot of complaints that parents were finding all this like you know kids don't pick up their toys at all so they were finding rotten fruits and vegetables all over the house <laughs> so they were getting lots of complaints so they were like okay <laughs> We got to do something different here. <laughs> so uh, then they started putting out a little plastic potato. Yeah. And then they came out with like, you know, Mrs. Carrot and all the other kind of uh, other fruits and vegetables. But, uh, but it's a good thing that they changed because, you know, Mr. Potato Head was actually the first commercial ever, uh, first toy commercial ever to come out. I'm learning all these things. You're blowing my mind, dude. Yeah, I'm sorry. Man. I have no idea. You get me talking. I just, uh, <laughs> no, I, this I, is, I'll just go through. No, this is great. You are blowing my mind. I was today years old yeah. <laughs> when I found out about Mr. Potato Head being actual potato. But it, it doesn't surprise me that kids, uh, you know, the more, the more things change, the more they stay the same, though, right? I mean, kids yeah. never pick up their toys. Yeah, and so uh, there's not many food-based toys that... Uh, that are really on the market anymore. But Mr. Potato Head always, it has a, a place for everyone. Everyone had a Mr. Potato Head. And uh, I, I don't think there's any slowing that down. It's going to be one of those toys like the Slinky that just keeps going. There, there's no stopping it. It's a zombie toy. Yeah. <laughs> it's never going to go away. Um, but it's classic. You know, sometimes the, the, the old, what's old is new again. And, you know, it all, it'll never go away because it's just so simple. It's classic. It's, it's a fun, interactive kind of, kind of thing that you get to play with. But I want to go back to something you mentioned about um, because it started with an actual potato but yeah. kids were, you know, because their imaginations are limitless, so they're using other other foods. So you talked about carrots. Were was there actual an actual carrot plastic yeah. toy? Yeah, Mrs. Carrot and uh, Mr. Pepper, uh, uh, Mr. Orange. So as a kid, but they're all plastic. They actually came yeah. out with the plastic. Uh, as models. a kid, I don't remember those though. So they just yeah, went they away. Kinda, or? They, yeah, they kind of. Uh, that was more of their first like 10 years or so. Mm. And then, uh, especially in the eighties, they switched over to, uh, a more generic, like just potato. And, uh, but then they got rid of the arms and stuff, which I think was a bad decision. I don't remember that. And then I know huh. it, for good reason. Cause then they, they <laughs> definitely switched back to the arms and, yeah. uh, and more so in the, uh, Towards the late '80s, they definitely switched back to the to a more iconic that we recognize now. It makes sense from an operational standpoint to consolidate to one single food item because you yeah. don't have to worry about packaging or marketing or you know. Yeah, and especially uh, you know here at the museum, we we really want to focus on a lot of this box art. And Mr. Potato Head had a had great box art, and. We don't notice how, how how much that box art changed what we wanted to buy. Yeah, you know the 
they, most of the time it would show you a world that you could uh, pretend inside and give you permission, you know, like, Hey, this is, this is a world that you can create in mm-hmm. or create your own, you know? Um, so I really give it up to a lot of the artists that did the box art that they were the ones to show you what kind of universes you could create. And, uh, not only play in the universe they made, but create your own. And that is the importance of having a great toy that cannot be understated because there's all the talk of, oh, well, you go to school and the imagination is kind of trained out of you as a kid. But when you come home, you have a toy and you can quite literally do whatever you want with it. You can do, you can put Mr. Potato's eyes uh, where the nose goes. Yeah. yeah, You just switch it all up. And just like the joke in Toy Story, when he says he's Picasso, you know, like, (laughs) yeah. uh, We've been watching that movie a lot ever since we did the museum, started in the museum just because, you know, so many iconic toys were, yeah. you know, it's almost like a sign of, uh, you made it, that you were, you were in a toy store. Your toy was in the toy story movie, you know? And, uh, you know, like slinky dog and, you know, all of them are, ba- I think, uh, speaking spells in it. And so it, it it's, a. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what's in the new ones. The new exhibit is the GI Joe exhibit. Yeah. If you had to, let's say Sarah, your wife, AKA marketing director as well. Yeah. If Sarah says, okay, honey, we have to narrow it down for one month. We're just going to do one exhibit and we're going to make over the entire toy museum. And it's just this one toy universe. What is it? Oh, that would be hard. Uh, I'd probably, for a history standpoint, I would probably want to do Barbie. I feel like you learn the most about society and, and the flow of history through the process of, uh, of the release of, of different dolls, you know, even with Ken. And uh, I think that would be probably my go-to. Um, it has the biggest vastness to cover the, the, you know, there's enough lessons in there for us all to learn. So, um, probably that, I mean, GI Joe would probably be right behind it if not tied for it. But, uh, yeah, it'd have to be those two. I would say Transformers, but GI Joe, I think GI Joe or Barbie would have to be it. Yeah. You know, Barbie is an interesting toy because it was a single prototype of a human who looked a certain way and now it is this vast universe of different characters different uh orientations different looks different styles and you've got the bougie priced barbies you got the movie themes you got the classic movies you got there's a barbie now for every uh Every occasion. Yeah, every single occasion. You want a Barbie that looks like you, you can literally have a Barbie or a Ken that looks just yeah. like you. And, and so it is interesting to, to view back history and know that there is, you know, we do focus out here at the museum that there's uh, proper representation in toys. That, you know, toys kind of tell you, it's a, like, tell you how far you can go. Certain toys were only uh, produced that said, okay, boys can do everything. Mm-hmm. There is no sky's the limit, but it, when you look at the at the version of toys, they made every kind of toy for a boy. But then if you look at a girl, they only ever made dolls, and uh, well, a lot of the dolls they, that came from them not having as many children, and so there wasn't an opportunity for the younger kids to help raise the the babies. 
And so because they were having less kids, they ended up starting to buy fake babies for little girls to practice. Oh, And so that's kind of like where the whole um, dolls really, really was made for was to help usher in the next wave of mothers. And um, makes sense. And whenever you're told that, you know, this is the only three, three jobs in the, in your life you could be, mm-hmm. you have this glass box over you. And then mm-hmm. if you take into account all the people that didn't even have toys made for them, mm-hmm. they didn't even have a box. There was no, 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 not even a guide for them to say, Oh, I can even, you know, just be a mother or, you know, so like, uh, especially like with black dolls, they, uh, they would just take a white doll and they'd paint it black. So mm-hmm. it didn't have any features. It didn't have any, it was just yeah. like an afterthought. Yeah. You know, it, it makes you feel that there's a, there's definitely a glass box around you. Mm-hmm. But that, boys, you can do anything. Anything. Anything Sky you the want. Limit. Sky's the yeah. limit. But girls, girls, hold on now. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, oh man. So that's why I love toys. You can just see so many things yeah. about history through them because toys haven't been around for, I mean, they've been around since the beginning of time, but the amount of toys and the amount of different toys you can find is just, uh, there's more opportunities to showcase everybody. Yeah. I mean. Which there's still room to grow, but uh, I think uh, the toy toy community is definitely getting there. Yeah, just in a short sliver of human history, because you're talking about toys being around since the beginning of time. I remember, um, what was the movie Gladiator, where the guy's carving out a little thing of uh, the Trojan horse for his boy back home. And that was a a toy. I mean, I can't imagine being a little kid in ancient Rome. And that was my, like, if I was a, if you took 10 year old Freddie from the 80s and you said, dropped him there, I'd have been like, what? What is this crap? <laughs> yeah, so like it, I definitely uh I definitely want to go back even further cuz right now we really stop in like um well at least with our timeline we stop in the 50s mm. or we start in the 50s but we have toys throughout you know at least the last I mean my oldest toys uh Parker Brothers from 1890s I have a bunch of Parker Brothers games which most people don't even realize how old certain companies are such as that or like I have a teddy bear from like the 1910s and uh, so we definitely have toys from uh, before the 50s, just our timeline. That that was the best timeline that I could think of uh, that would uh, showcase most of the people that are alive today. And it seems like that was the beginning of the cataclysmic growth in toys, or at least a revolution in the way toys were made and the way they were seen mm-hmm. uh, instead of just uh, kind of being an afterthought or being something that train girls to be moms or something to keep the boys yeah. occupied or whatnot. There's actual uh, deliberate effort to. Like I'm, re- I'm really interested in like the yeah. psychology of what toys you played with as a kid mm-hmm. compared to what kind of a career you chose. Like, did it, did it affect your career you chose mm-hmm. and did it do it not even thinking about it? Because like, yeah, you, you tell your parents what kind of toys you kind of want, but a lot of parents, they take a lot of liberties and they, they give you the toys that, you know, they could see you playing or they could see like you playing with or like, you know, yeah. how many people that became doctors just was always playing doctor, you know, like they had operation and that was all they played because that was the only game they yeah. had. How many Hot Wheels guys ended up, our, our car guys yeah are like, you know, how many G.I. Joe uh, people are, are going to the military or what, what toy do you resonate with that? that affected your career that 
in turn affected your life. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really fascinated with that that part of toys and and uh, and, see, and and so when people come in, I always ask them, uh, "What's your favorite toy?" Well, well, what's your career? You know, and, and like, uh, especially musicians. I haven't talked to too many musicians about what toys, but that, 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 that would be interesting to talk to. Absolutely, man. Well, this has been so much fun getting to know you and seeing the museum. I'm going to take an in-depth tour now, y'all, that the interview is about to wrap. Uh, if you're in the Houston area, please visit the Houston Toy Museum Websites really easy to remember, y'all. HoustonToyMuseum.com. Find them on Instagram and on TikTok, on the socials. Matt and Sarah uh, have got quite the operation going on. Thousands of toys. Thank goodness they're not cluttered up in his house. They're here in the Heights in the Houston area. Matt, my man, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, If I can just leave you with one thing, just uh, it's art. Toys are art. Ten artists made a toy. You know, you had a designer, a uh, a sculptor, a painter, a box art designer. You had so many artists that made these toys. And toys are art that you didn't know was art. And uh, that, that's one, one thing I want the biggest takeaway to be. Hey, it's me. I'm back with a quick little nudge. If you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did putting it together for you, then please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the newsletter at cruisethroughhtx.com and share with your family and friends. Thank you.